0: Welcome to the Happy Menopause podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, registered nutritional therapist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialize in women's health and the menopause. There are so many ways that diet and lifestyle can help to relieve a whole range of menopause symptoms. And my new book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with practical nutrition advice to support you through this transition. It's out now and available to order in all the usual places. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Do you leak a little bit of urine when you laugh or sneeze or run? Let's face it, it's something that's happened to most of us at some point, and statistics show that more than one in three women struggle with this. It's called urinary stress incontinence, usually due to a weak pelvic floor. And it's one of those things we mostly don't talk about, because it's embarrassing. Today's guest is going to help us bust that taboo wide open, because I'm speaking to the fabulous Elaine Miller. She's a pelvic health physiotherapist, and has helped countless women reverse the problem with her clinical support. But she's also a stand-up comic, and has used her comedic talent to create the hilarious Gusset Grippers show, using humour as a health promotion tool and going on to win the Fringe World Comedy Award in 2020. She's frank, she's funny, and I'm thrilled that she's joining us today to share her wisdom. So let's hear what she's got to say. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Elaine.
1: Thank you very much for having me on, Jackie.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. Can't wait to hear what you've got to say. But before we drill down into all the mysteries of the pelvic floor, tell us your story. What's your background and how did it lead to where you are now?
1: Well, I'm a pelvic health physiotherapist, so I work with leaky ladies in the main, and I'm very interested in the women who don't come to clinic. I'm really fascinated by the people who don't seek help, but my background's in sports stuff. I am... Um, Used to have a job that I got paid to travel abroad to touch fit young men, which was not a, not the worst job I've ever had. Um, yeah, that
0: sounds like a good start for one's career.
1: I was a lot younger, so it didn't. It wasn't. It was. It was a bit less creepy than it sounds now. Um, and then I, um, so I was working backs and necks mainly, and I had three kids in four years, and suddenly the world of continents became absolutely fascinating, and that's what I work in now.
0: Mm, Okay. So what inspired you to go into physiotherapy in the first place?
1: Oh, to impress my dad because he loves rugby. So I thought if I could work for sports people and work for rugby, then he would be really impressed. And he was. (laughs) 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 Um, It's a shame to be as pathetic as anyone who's wanted my dad to notice me. But fundamentally, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's a good job because it's flexible and I knew I could do loads with it. Whereas if I was doing nursing, I would be you know, mostly confined to a ward and that's fine. I, I like ward work, but I wanted to have something that was a bit m- bit more varied because mm. yeah, yeah. A bit I'm, more
0: scope to it.
1: I'm a flipperty gibbet. I get bored easily. So I'll
0: Well, be- that might explain some of the things you're gonna come on to talk about. <laughs> so it was the birth of your children that sort of led you to move more into women's health physiotherapy. Is that right? Um,
1: and I think that's fairly standard. I think most people that land up working in continence care either have experience themselves of incontinence, or somebody that they care for has incontinence. And once you get that, it uh, affects every single thing that that person wants to do, and the impact on their mental health and their sense of well-being is enormous. Once you understand that, then you you get a wee bit evangelical. It seems that the people that work in this field really care about it they really work really hard to try and get as much attention onto the the subject as possible which is an uphill struggle
0: yeah yeah well that's probably what led to pelvic raw but I'm going to ask you about that in a second before I do a minute ago you talked about leaky ladies so let's just drill down into that what exactly is urine stress incontinence?
1: Yeah, it's common for a start. So the data, the, the the standard is that, the standard accepted data is it's one in three women that wet themselves. But I don't think that that's remotely accurate. I think if you ask most women at school gate, do you want to come in my trampoline? Most of them would probably say no, thanks very much. And there's new data that's just come out from the States that says it's 60% of women that have problems with their bladder control, which yeah. is More realistic, but I think really once a woman's over 50, most of us understand that we don't belong on a trampoline. So what happens is that the downward pressure, so if you laugh or cough or sneeze, is pushing down on your bladder and your pelvic floor muscles should kick in to resist that downward pressure and keep your um, pee hole shut so that you don't wet yourself. So if the muscles aren't coordinated enough or strong enough, then you're going to wet yourself a bit. So it's not a huge amount of urine that's lost. It's usually only like one to two teaspoons of volume of pee. But it's embarrassing and women don't want to be leaky. So what they tend to do is they stop drinking, they go to the toilet every five minutes just in case and they quite often land up developing a bladder dysfunction. So the way that their bladder operates becomes a bit, well, just disordered. So then they have to go, but they have to go now. They can't hold on. Normal is being able to wait two hours. Really, it should be four hours between first feeling the urge to pee and actually being bursting, which is a long time. Most people, if you say to them, can you wait four hours to hang on to go to the toilet? They look at you like you're mad
0: because Mm -hmm. it's just
1: beyond their, their ability. But that is normal. So that's what stress and constance is. It's leaking a bit if you laugh or cough or sneeze or run and jump or vomit or go bungee jumping. We'd recommend you don't do that. And then I think it's a gateway disorder because people start changing their behaviour and that puts them at risk of other bladder issues.
0: Mm, That's very interesting. I think most women listening to this, even women who perhaps don't experience it every day, will know that sense of suddenly an unexpected sneeze that can take you by surprise and you suddenly think, oh, got across my legs here because something's going on. So I think it's much more familiar, but one of those things we don't talk about. And of course, that's the thing. Menopause is becoming, certainly in the UK, it's becoming something much more every day. People are daring to speak about it. We've got all manner of um, things on TV, documentaries, the press, the media. But the pelvic floor, the intimate health, what's going on down below, as we often call it, we're not talking about it. So I think your point about it being interested in the women who don't seek help is very interesting. And I guess that's what led you to set up Pelvic Raw. Would that be right?
1: Yeah, so the data on it is is poor, um, because how do you measure the people that don't come and talk to you? Um, but it looks like it's about 75% of women who wet themselves never, never speak to their GP about it. They just buy pads. And, and accept it either as inevitable it's what happens when you get older or it's what happens after you've had kids or my mum and my gran had it so I guess this is just my lot in life and that's frustrating to me because if we can get them into clinic physio works really really well so if we if it's simple stress incontinence six sessions of physio has an 83% cure rate so there's really no need to have all of these women, you know, reducing their quality of life by avoiding exercise and not being sexually active if they wanted to be. And all of those intrusions into somebody's life and. Um, but the shame and stigma that surround incontinence specifically is enormous, and that's urinary incontinence. So it's interesting to me that the sort of taboos within the taboo of menopause are starting to be discussed. Um, on Davina's documentary, there's been mention about vaginal dryness, for instance, and there's been a lot yeah. of a mention about leaking, but very little and not down to the nitty gritty of actually this really interferes with people's lives and it can destroy relationships and it can make people leave their work um and i've never seen anything mentioned about faecal incontinence so we're getting more comfortable talking about the principles but um the taboos within the taboos remain pretty solid
0: yeah yeah so what is pelvic raw
1: Well, it's just a collaboration. I mean, fundamentally, it's just a Facebook page, but we're we're trying to improve the communication between the different multidisciplinary groups. So whilst physios are really good at this stuff, if we can get women into clinic, there's not that many specialist physios in the UK. And in the NHS, everybody's busy because they've got long waiting lists and they're busy seeing the patients that they've got. So trying to um, evangelise about how good we are hasn't really been done effectively to my mind. I'm not criticising what they've been doing, they've just been busy doing the job. But unless we actually get out and speak to the women that don't know about us and try and get them into clinic, then I think I think that is a need. I think it's somebody's job. And if it's not the urologists and it's not the continence nurses and it's not the pelvic health physios, then whose job is it to educate women about what they can reasonably expect from their genitals?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's very interesting because I remember the, the first time I, I met a, a women's health physiotherapist, I didn't know that that was a thing. I, it, it's not just a, a physio that happens to be a woman. Yeah. It's a very, very different thing, which focuses specifically on pelvic health. And and it's extraordinary. Now I know much more about it. I realise the, the huge difference it can make.
1: Yeah. And we're a, it's a funny grouping as well, because it, we tend to be As clinicians, we've got a bit of a broad skill base. Usually most people have got a good grounding in backs and necks and posture and sports and rehab. And you need all of that, I think, because... One of the challenges is that often women have delayed coming for help for quite a long time, so they're quite complex. Often, by the time they land up in clinic, the average is seven years it takes before the before the problems are so bad that it's interfering with things so much that it's less embarrassing to come to a clinic than it is just to carry on living with the the intrusions into your daily life. So, in that seven years, the you know, she's given up exercise. Its impact and how she travels and their self esteem takes a real battering. So you've got yeah. to unpick all of that. Um, having said that, often we only see them once. I reckon about a third of the women that I see in clinic, in private practice, they just they don't really need to be there. They need education. If I see somebody once and they don't need to come back, did they need to be seen at all? Like, could they just have got that information from a website? So. That's what I'd really like to see set up. Australia has a very good system. They have a a website called pelvicfloorfirst.org.au and it's government funded. So it gives solid evidence base. There's really good video on it. It's kept up to date and there's no nonsense on there. So it's a great resource to go to for information because if you Google this stuff, um, quite often you get people's opinions and they want to sell you things at great expense rather than anything that is actually actually got validation behind it,
0: which mm-hmm. annoys me. Yeah. So it's obvious that you're working really hard and you're very passionate about spreading the word here, but you've gone beyond just reaching out to health and wellbeing professionals. You've actually started to reach out directly to women themselves, haven't you? So that is all about, I think it began with the the Gusset Grippers show. So how did that all come about?
1: That was alcohol, Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me that. Three three babies in four years. That's the usual story. Um, I had a hobby of stand-up and I live in Edinburgh and the biggest arts festival in the world is in Edinburgh every year. Um, So one day I was really cross because I'd had a lady in clinic who was just upset. She was, it was her first appointment, and she came in and she just cried for 40 minutes because she was so fed up of trying to manage this problem. And I knew from what she told me about her condition that she would get better really, really quickly, and it wasn't that big a deal. But she was devastated by this, the manifestation of these symptoms in her life. So, I wasn't cross with her. I was cross with the situation because she'd been putting up with it for years and there was no need for her to be so upset if only somebody was giving her the information. So I decided that the obvious thing to do would be to write a fringe show about pelvic floors. Um, because, So well, just
0: to interrupt, the Edinburgh Fringe is what exactly for people who aren't Sure about that?
1: It's the biggest arts festival in the world. So there are Edinburgh's not a big city. Um I think there's only a hundred thousand people live in Edinburgh and the population trebles in August. So it's the whole month. The fringe is just part of the festivals. There's five different festivals that happen over the four weeks of August. It's hellish if you live here because (laughs) because you can't get anywhere because there's just hordes of tourists everywhere but it's a lot of fun and there are something like three thousand comedy shows on in the in the fringe month it's a huge event and i'd had a patient that told me a story about her wetting herself on her doorstep in front of her neighbor and it wasn't a little bit of wee that she could hide it was frank urine loss and it it's a horrible thing to happen to somebody that she was from Glasgow, so she was funny. And the way she was telling me the story, it was just hilarious. And I said to her, can I use that on stage? Because she knew I had stand up as a hobby. So I wrote a short set, just a five minute set about what had happened to her, pretending it had happened to me. And four women afterwards came up and said to me, oh, me too. And they didn't know it was my job. But And they hadn't spoken to their GP, but they would speak to some randomer in a bar just to say, you know, solidarity sister, I wet myself as well. So it was that that put it into my head that if you can talk about anything in comedy, like you can get away with the most appalling, socially inappropriate stories as long as you can make them funny. Yeah. So I did wonder if maybe you could use that to manage the embarrassment that prevents women from help-seeking. So I wrote a show about basically what I would teach a woman if she came into clinic, about what a pelvic floor is, what it does, and why having a good one is smashing. And um, But I had a, <laughs> a vulva suit. Um but- <laughs> put on at the end and my face is the clitoris and I sing a song about vaginal prolapse and and I'm sure that that's in no way linked to the fact that my daughter left to go to university far far away from me <laughs> 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 and um and I didn't think it would do very well because who's gonna come and see a show about fannies um from an unknown person at lunchtime. But it did it did well and eventually it got five stars and I was invited out to Australia to the fringes there and I won the comedy award. The Fr- Wow I know, I was quite chuffed. Fringe World Comedy Award twenty twenty. Um, I should
0: say so. That's fantastic. Um,
1: it's quite nice, must admit, because now it means that when my kids who are all teenagers say oh mum you're not funny I can point to a bit a of perspex and say I think you'll find I am <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes not everyone would agree with that <laughs> oh my goodness that's just amazing because I think it must take a lot of courage um to to get up there I I When you watch stand-up comics, it must be you're giving so much for yourself and I suppose there must be those awful moments and the fear of dying on stage, as it were. Um, So hats off to you for doing it because doing it alone must be hard, but doing it with a subject like that, wow.
1: I don't know that I agree because I think... Maybe if you've got any sense of dignity you're worried about that but the worst thing that happens is nobody laughs. Well, nobody dies. It's just a bit embarrassing really but um, I have been surprised at how well received these topics are in comedy terms because it is tricky and you're right. You need to be very careful so that you're not mocking the audience so they don't feel Mm. like they're being ridiculed the joke's always in me and it's a wee shame for me but it does seem to have potential because if you can make people laugh about something then you can make them talk about it and it's the talking and the sharing of information that seems to work for reducing taboo
0: yeah so you talk about the show and how you go through the basics so let's have a look at the basics first of all because I don't think everyone's familiar with this. What's the difference between a vagina and a vulva?
1: Yeah, they're not. 50% of women in the UK don't know the difference, which I find mind-blowing because I'm fairly confident. I've not seen any data, but I reckon that 100% of men can tell the difference between a penis and a testicle. And, <laughs> yes, and I, I'm
0: fairly sure you're right.
1: <laughs> I don't like men being better at stuff than women. So if you can see it, that's a vulva. And if you or a wee friend are fishing around in there, that's a vagina. So the vagina is the internal bit and the vulva is anything that you can see on the outside. It's important because if you can't name your bits of your own body, it's associated with shame. It stops people from being able to speak to their GP. And also they are less likely to know what normal is. So it increases your risk that if you have a... a dermatological conditions. So women who have got incontinence sometimes they get like irritation of their skin and they're much less likely to go and speak to their doctor if they don't have the words to be able to communicate you know, yeah. I've got a red, itchy, raw vulva. Yeah, um,
0: you're absolutely right. I mean, in my nutrition clinic, I see that a lot with people talking about bowel movements. They apologise before um, they talk to me about that. Um, and I talk about this stuff every day. Yeah. Uh, th- there's no shame. We we, we all pass stools. We all open our bowels. It's a human biological process.
1: Yeah, I would have it in schools as part of sex ed. If you people left school knowing what normal peeing, normal pooing is then we would be out of a job really (laughs) 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 if they knew what they could reasonably expect then they would not land up in the pickle that they often do
0: Yeah, well, we're very good at putting up with stuff and women in particular do put up and shut up. So you mentioned a minute ago that you say why it's absolutely smashing to have a good pelvic floor. So what's the pelvic floor and why is it smashing to have a good one?
1: So if you look at a pelvis, it's just got a hole through the middle of it and the pelvic floor muscles are what stops everything from falling out. Their job is to hold your guts up. And they also have a job to keep your holes shut when you want them to be shut and to relax when you need to let things out like pee or poo or in the case of females, babies occasionally. Pelvic floors are not static, they're quite reactive, so they will react to whatever you're doing, whether it's laughing or emptying a washing machine or trying to get a reluctant toddler to get into the car seat and you have to karate chop them in the middle, your pelvic floor should be, (laughs) gently, without witnesses, your pelvic floor should be contracting to resist the force of you (laughs) muttering under your breath at this apple of your eye that's doing your nutting. So then that keeps you dry, so you're not going to leak. If it can't do that, then you're going to leak pee or poo or farts. So all of those are symptoms, and nobody, no matter what your age, no matter which sex you are, no matter anything else about you, you you should not be leaking pee or poo or farts. It's not it's common, but you 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 shouldn't expect that to be just normal for you. There's always a reason for it, and that reason usually can be managed if if not cured.
0: So there's usually something
1: you can do about it. Yeah, almost 100% of the time. Even in people that have got other conditions, like if they've got multiple sclerosis, so they've had a stroke, or there's always, always something that you can do to try and improve things for that person.
0: Okay. So for women in midlife, why does our pelvic floor start to get weaker around that time?
1: Yeah, it really sucks. So when you start to lose your oestrogen, oestrogen affects all your soft tissues and that includes the ligaments in your body. So sometimes women, like the the obvious thing is that your body shape changes, sometimes balance can be altered um, and some of the pelvic floor muscles attach onto ligaments deep inside your pelvis. So then instead of the muscles being tucked up nice and high, the change of menopause and the loss of oestrogen means that mechanically it all slips down ever, ever so slightly and it becomes less mechanically efficient so after menopause, there is no difference in women who have had children or not had children or whether they had vaginal deliveries or whether they've had cesarean section deliveries um, in, their, in their prolapse prevalence. So prolapse is when the pelvic organs, your bowel, your bladder, your uterus aren't being held up where they should be, that they're they're moving around a little bit and you can get pain or discomfort or a lump or just a strange feeling with uh, the prolapse being in pushing down into the vaginal space. So it seems really unfair that women who didn't have children land up with the same number. And It's 50% of women over the age of 50 will have some element of prolapse. But if you have good pelvic floor muscles, then you can manage the symptoms of that and stop it from getting worse for a significant period of time.
0: And so that's where the exercises come in.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So tell us, um, can you talk us through some? Can we do one now?
1: Yeah. Um, So the action of the muscles, there's loads of muscles. There's three layers of them. There's lots and lots of different ones, but they all do the same thing. Their job is to squeeze and lift. So there was some research done to find out what the best analogy is to get the muscles to contract most efficiently. And it's to imagine you're trying to hold in a wee fart. Um which I love that this was a woman's <laughs> PhD, so for three years she was shouting at people different analogies, and the one that works the most is hold in a fart. That's just very Scottish. And it's because it's embarrassing. Like if you know that you've got a fart brewing, but you're in company that you wouldn't want to embarrass yourself in front of, then you know what I'm talking about with squeeze and lift. Because if you think about it and you think about your bum hole, you can feel it squeeze shut. And when you really, really squeeze, you can feel it lift up slightly. And that lift up bit is important to get a good quality pelvic floor contraction. So to make it work efficiently, you want to do it on an exhale. So if you take a deep breath in, and then sigh out and now you're going to squeeze and lift your bum hole for a count of 10. I'll count down with my fingers, but you've got to keep breathing as you're doing it. So keep squeezing and keep breathing and then relax. And you should feel something let go. You should feel something move as it relaxes. If you can't feel anything, don't worry. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. It's just that either the muscles aren't strong enough to hold on for a count of 10 or they're not relaxing particularly well. So the advice is that you do that squeeze and lift hold for a count of 10 three times a day for three months and you also do quick flicks because the holding on for 10 seconds will help you if there's a big cue to get to the toilet but it won't help if you laugh or cough or sneeze and you have this little bit of stress incontinence right so for it you have to do a quick squeeze and lift and then relax so as if you're going to go oh i'm going to fart oh it's all right it's gone away and you do 10 in a row. And at that sort of speed, so it's like squeeze and lift, relax, squeeze and lift, relax. But you're really trying to squeeze and then you're really trying to relax. Imagine that you're just picking something up and dropping it with your bum hole. Um, So a hold for a count of 10 and 10 quick flicks, three times a day for three months. And about 75% of women with simple stress and constants can get dry with doing that on their own. So if it doesn't work, then we want them to come to clinic.
0: And how do they get to clinic? Do they go to their doctor?
1: Yeah, it depends on where you are. So in the UK, there's quite a lot of self-referral systems. So if you Google your NHS area and pelvic health physiotherapy or continence physiotherapy, it should come up with a number or a form that you can just get in touch with the department directly. Otherwise, then it tends to be through GP or family practitioner. Some other parts of the world in Belgium, France, America, Australia, then they can just do self referral as well google is your friend to find your closest one
0: brilliant okay and so these exercises do you only have to do them if you're leaking
1: no it's three times a day every day until you're dry and then once a day every day until you die yeah it's a good idea to do it if if they don't work though then we want to see these people because it might not just be weakness it's a problem you can have an over pelvic floor system that's not relaxing so kegel exercises these simple exercises are not going to fix that and um, you need to be able to learn how to let them go and it's all mm. linked in with your breath and your posture so it's much better to have a one-to-one assessment but yeah, for an yeah. extra, i don't think you're going to do any harm by delaying seeking help from a professional f- for three months if you're giving it a shot on your own and if that doesn't work you know if the average weight is seven years well there's there's time to play around with it and if it's just weakness then it should improve on your own
0: So if you're about to cough or sneeze and you think, oh, I know what might happen next, can doing one of those quick squeezes deal with that?
1: Yeah, we call it the knack. So there's good evidence for that, that if you take a deep breath in, sigh out, squeeze and lift as hard as you can, that that can compensate. So if you were going to be doing something that you know is challenging for your pelvic floor, like emptying the washing machine, then you would do squeeze and lift as you're doing the task. And that, that helps recruit the muscles, keeps you dry
0: Why would emptying the washing machine be a problem?
1: I think it's because you're in the position that you're in. If you're down, squatting down low and you're lifting quite heavy, awkward washing and it's bending yeah. and twisting. Often women are holding their breath while they're doing it because of the position that they're in. It's quite a common one. Mm. OK. Mm.
0: And what about when you're wanting to do something consistent like running or dancing or, or jumping? Because you can't sort of just... Do a quick poll then.
1: Is right. there anything that you can do? Yeah. If you're leaking at all doing those activities, then it's a bit of a signal that the the activity is too much for your muscles. So they're just right. not strong enough to manage it. So that would be something that I would want you to flag up to somebody like me. But there are devices that you can use to help. So pessaries are a thing that they're usually like a sort of silicon tampon that goes into the vagina and it can help support the neck of the the bladder Um, some of them work really really well and I think that's a good thing because exercise has got its own benefits if you're not going to exercise then that's not very good for you so you've got to balance up the sort of the you know the risk benefit so there's a few that you can buy over the counter and I think it's worth investigating that because if you're running and it's good for you and you enjoy it then keeping active is you know, important but yeah. bear in mind that if you are leaking then what my preference would be would be that they would go and speak to a physio and get the right one selected before they go and buy things online
0: and I know there's something called key incontinence and mm. some people might experience that after they've been out for a walk or a run they were fine and then suddenly they arrive at the door yeah, what's going on there?
1: <laughs> it's a it's, it's a form of urgency, so you should be able to wait four hours. But usually, what happens is when you go home, the first thing you do is go and have a pee. And bladders learn by conditioning. That's how. That's what potty training is. You're just conditioning the child to perform on an appropriate receptacle. So your bladder, your autonomic nervous system, that's, that's making your bladder work learns that you're about to go to the toilet so your bladder gets a bit overexcited and it's just just an association thing so
0: that's amazing
1: yeah it is really fascinating and the the key to fixing it is to walk not run to get to the toilet and to do a really strong pelvic floor contraction if you're getting that sort of symptom then you're probably getting other symptoms as well so don't don't put up with it come into clinic and we can get it sorted out
0: yeah. Now, in my nutrition clinic, I often get referrals from women's health physiotherapists for, for women who are struggling because there are a couple of other areas that you need to work on as well. Sometimes one of them is weight management and constipation the other. So why are those potentially an issue for mm. pelvic floor?
1: Yeah, constipation's a real bugbear of mine. So the, the biggest risk for developing a vaginal prolapse is constipation because if you're sitting in the toilet straining to push out wee poo, then that in itself is enough to stress a pelvic floor and, and weaken it over time. So that's why constipation is a problem. Weight is because it just is more work for your pelvic floor to have to resist. If you're running, then there's three times your body weight and impact hitting the ground from your heel. Going up ah, into your pelvic floor, so it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. So even if you're even if you're not overweight, the repeated impact of that, if your pelvic floor isn't strong enough to resist it, you're going to get symptoms. Um, so would you, running
0: more slowly make a difference?
1: It can do. Um, I'm a very slow runner some may as well i don't think there's actually <laughs> any difference in speed i just go up and down a bit more <laughs> um,
0: yeah that sounds familiar
1: <laughs> but i'm doing it um, even small amounts of weight loss can make a big big difference so if it's three times your body weight and impact if you only lose two or three pounds that's like nine pounds of impact pressure that's you've relieved from your pelvic floor so that can be enough to make people dry
0: Right. Yeah. Interesting. So there are other things we can focus on as well. Mm. Now, I know you've got a new show. There's Gusset Grippers was the original, um, but there's a new one coming up. What's it called and, and when's it happening?
1: Yeah, I'm back in the Edinburgh fringe. Um, so it's called Viva Your Vulva, The Whole Story. And I'm so amused with having the whole story added in because there's no W. Yeah. Um, so it's about what we mentioned earlier on, about 50% of women don't know the difference between their vulva and their vagina. So I build a vulva on stage. My friend's making this amazing sparkly vulva with magnets for all the different bits. So oh. the urethra and the labia are all magnets. You're
0: not going to wear it, are you?
1: No, the other show had oh. the wearing one. This one's on a on a stand. And So we're going to build it, and then I'll explain what each bit is for. And it's... i'm quite pleased with it it's a lot of fun and it's the same idea it's evidence-based information and so it's got if you're a healthcare professional it counts as continuing professional development because oh
0: amazing no
1: it's my favorite bit so they can get a certificate of attendance and and put it into their cpd folder if they want so it's on every day between the 3rd and the 28th of august at quarter past seven in a wheelchair accessible room with a gilded balloon which i'm delighted about because Edinburgh is a very old city and not many fringe venues are wheelchair accessible. So I'm so pleased to have one. Tickets are on sale now and I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Fantastic. And I think it's probably worth just flagging up that this is not going to be like turning up to a seminar or workshop. This is a comedy show, so it's going to be fun. Um, You don't... Health professionals, great, come along, get your certificate. But you know, members of the public—that's who you're really after. Is that right? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's not. It is street stand-up. It's not. It's it's not a TED talk. And I think that works because I did some research with the university in in um, Melbourne looking at using humour as a health promotion tool and there's something about if you can make something funny people remember it and they're just much more likely to engage in the subject matter and retain information if you can present it in a humorous way so that's that's really what the goal of it is that I want women leaving knowing what the vulva is what it does what they can reasonably expect from their genitals in the course of lifetime And where to take theirs if you think it's a bit wonky. So how to go and speak to your GP. And also, why did nobody tell you this stuff? I have a bit of a rant about medical misogyny and... Patreon, oh, 4000. Don't get me 000. started
0: on that. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, Viva Yavalva, I will put links in the show notes so everyone can know where to go and find the tickets. Um, where can people find you, Elaine, if they want to find out more about you, follow you on social media, and keep up with all your projects?
1: Yeah, I have a very bad website at gussetgrippers.co.uk where you can go and see that I'm much better with a fanny than I am with tech (laughs) so (laughs) so it really needs updating and and sorting out but i think i have a little man who can now um so that's the website i'm at Gussie grips at twitter and i'm using it to try and remind women to do their pelvic floor exercises so when i tweet you twitch your twinkle ha 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 and gusset grippers on facebook and instagram
0: Excellent. Well, again, I'll put all the links to that in the show notes so everyone can find you. And I seem to remember that when I saw you on BBC Breakfast a while back, there was a little mantra that uh, you were using, which is, we won't pee with a
1: 10, 10, 3. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hole for 10, 10 quick flicks, three times a day, 10, 10, 3. Then you remember, Fantastic. I hope, what is it we want you to be doing. And if Brilliant. it doesn't work, come to clinic.
0: Exactly right. So before we wrap up, and I wish we didn't have to because I could talk about this stuff with you for ages. It's been so much fun. What are your top two tips for women in midlife who are struggling with pelvic issues?
1: Yeah. Sort out your bowel. Go and speak to Jackie about constipation. That's the best thing that women can do for their pelvic health. And if and go and speak to your GP or a pelvic health physio, please don't put up with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So common, not normal, and get it sorted. Yeah. Brilliant. Elaine, it's been fab. Thanks so much for coming to speak to us today. Really good luck with your show. I'm sure it's going to be an absolutely barnstorming success.
1: I hope so. It'd be embarrassing if I'm standing there on my own with big sparkly vulva. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on.
0: Isn't she fantastic? So remember, we won't pee with a 10103. Get started today with reversing your urinary stress incontinence. If you're going to be in Edinburgh this summer, then check out Elaine's Viva La Vulva show. I've put the link for tickets on the podcast page of my website, well-well-well.co.uk, where you can also find details of her website and social media. I've got a whole section on digestion in my book, The Happy Menopause, so check that out too if you're struggling with constipation. I'm also going to be looking at digestion in next month's episode, as we shine the spotlight on bloating, and how to deal with it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do tell your friends and family about the podcast and leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. It really helps to activate the algorithms and boost the rankings so that more women can find the show. Because every woman deserves a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.